If you would, to start off this morning, <clears throat> I thought we would uh, say a prayer together. It's probably one that you're familiar with. It's the Lord's Prayer. If you're not familiar with it, it'll be on the screen. And we'll just uh, pray this, kind of start our service, or this section of it together. All right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. It's a uh, prayer that many of us are familiar with, and in fact, I think many times familiarity leads to us forgetting or not acknowledging the richness of it. I mean, the reality is this is a verse or a section of Scripture that it is one that we pray, and in reality, it's filled with so much information. It's filled with so much goodness, but what's interesting is the first part of it speaks to this idea of longing. I mean, if you caught the wording, it says, That uh, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And what it really is, is it's an acknowledgement of the fact that things here on earth are not what they should be, right? I mean, even these prayer requests we have been praying about this morning are evidence of the fact that the way things are on earth is not the ideal. That there's something that's so much greater, that's so much better, It's so much beyond what we can imagine. And so we long for heaven. We long for the kingdom of God to be present reality. In fact, we understand from the very prayer that the way things are operating in heaven right now, the way things that are operating in the kingdom of God is perfect. Just as the way it should be. And we're asking for that to be present here among us. It's this tension that many theologians call the already but not yet tension. I'm sure many of you have already heard about that very tension that we feel. That there's this longing for things to be a certain way and that we live in this in-between, between what will be at some point and what is currently. In fact, we are praying for the kingdom to be at hand. In fact, Jesus said it is at hand. It is at arm's length. It is close by. It is near. The kingdom of God is near. It is present. It's a reality that is in our midst. And yet, it's also this understood thing that it's not here in its fullness yet. Houston Smith made this statement about it. He says, There is within us, and even the blithest, most lighthearted among us, a fundamental dis-ease. This desire lies in the marrow of our bones and deep in the regions of our soul. All great literature, poetry, art, philosophy, psychology, and religion tries to name and analyze this longing. We are seldom in direct touch with it. And indeed, the modern world seems set on preventing us from getting in touch with it by covering it with entertainments, obsessions, and distractions of every sort. But the longing is there, built into us like a jack-in-the-box that presses for release, whether we realize it or not, simply 
To be human is to long for release from the mundane existence with its confining walls of finitude and morality. The good news, or the gospel, is that this longing can be fulfilled. There's within us this longing, this desire for something that is not a full and present reality now. And it's this longing that I think Paul is alluding to in our passage for today. If you have not already turned to Philippians 3, turn there. Because what he does is he speaks to this idea of awaiting or eagerly expecting our coming Messiah. That, that one day everything will change. That God will bring everything under His complete reign, His complete control. In fact, one of the songs we sang is, Lord, reign in us. Even though your reign isn't complete in a way we are envisioning it, you can still reign in us. And so this is what Paul is kind of speaking of as he walks us into this passage. The other thing that's going to be interesting about this passage is you're going to feel, perhaps, you've already felt it in this series, a bit of a ping-pong effect in the passage. Here's what I mean. You will hear us, week after week, sound as if we are contradicting ourselves or we are like hitting the ping-pong ball back and forth. Because one week, you will hear this. You need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is your job to begin to live a certain way, act a certain way, pursue Christ, know Christ, be a part of the Gospel. And then the following week, we'll go, you know what? Actually, it has nothing to do with you at all. Right? It's all about Christ. It's what He is doing in us. It is Him working out the salvation through us. It is His work. We are nothing. We, we, we cannot accomplish anything without Him. And, and we echo that. We talk about it. We declare it. We, we, we say things about His example. The example of Christ here on earth. And then we swing back the next week and we go, and so Paul says, strive for the Gospel. He says, live it out with everything that's in you. And then we go back to the week after where we go, Paul says that everything we have is rubbish. Everything that you have to point your finger toward, that look, I earned this, I deserve this, this is how I was born, this is how I was lived, this is all these things I've done, look at this. And, and he goes, it's a, it's a waste. It's nothing. And really what matters is knowledge of God, this pursuit of Him. And so then we swing back, talk about that. Talk about Christ in us, the hope of glory. We talk about, and then... We're swinging back again this week. We're swinging back to this idea that Paul says, you know what, the Gospel is Christ in you. The Gospel is Him living through you. The Gospel is everything about Him and what He's doing in you. That is the good news. But that good news also requires our participation. That good news also requires that we walk a certain way and that we understand certain things about our citizenship. And so today's passage is really about two things. It's about citizenship and about walking. So let's look at the passage, and my hope is just for us to understand those two concepts a little bit better. So if you're in Philippians chapter 3, you can look down in verse 17. It says, Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. 
And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my Beloved. Paul lays out for us some really important things tied to two understandings. One, this idea of citizenship. Two, an idea of walking and what those things mean. So for, in order for us to really get the passage, I think it's important for us to understand this idea of citizenship first. And it's one of the main things he says here in verse 20. If you look down it, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven. What Paul is saying is that we are citizens of heaven. Plain and simple. That we are a colony. The church is a colony of heaven. Now to understand that, you probably need to understand a little bit of the historical background of the city of Philippi and understand a little bit about Roman colonies. Now Roman colonies were pretty um, amazing and majestic kind of cities. What happens is you have the central Rome, which is this, this beautiful city, the city that is powerful, the city that, I mean, has so much going for it. And what they did is they began to grow the empire of Rome. And they kept growing it, and they kept growing it. And along the way, what they would do is they would create these outposts, these colonies, these little cities. And each of the little cities was supposed to be a miniature Rome. And so they would gather these warriors from conquests, and they would put these soldiers all in a city, and they would find ideal places like crossroads where major highways were coming through that would be trade markets, and they would put a colony there. Then they would move to a mountain pass that would be strategic for military advantage, and they would put a colony there. And they would find a place where there was great wealth because of the land or because of uh, the, the access to the sea or whatever, and they would put another colony there. And so these colonies, they were amazing places. And in each Roman colony, they would act just like Rome. And so they had Roman dress. Governors and magistrates from Rome would rule over these cities and govern them. Latin tongue was the spoken language. Roman justice and morals were administered. And everything at that colony or everything at that city was about Rome. Everything. In fact, it, you hear the phrase, we often say it, that when in Rome, do as the Romans, right? Or when in Vegas, do... Well, never mind about Vegas. But you get the idea that when, when in Rome, do as the Romans. Well, this was a little bit different because it was wherever you are, you don't have to be in Rome. Where you are, be Rome. Bring Rome to where you are, was kind of the idea. And so everything was about Rome. In fact, Philippi was one such... Roman city. It was, as we've talked about several times, that it was populated by a lot of soldiers, a lot of people who came back and and Rome said, go and occupy this land, be an outpost, be a miniature Rome. And so Philippi, even though it was 800 miles away, the Romans treated them as if they were on Italian soil. That you are a miniature picture of us. And so you can imagine in Philippi that there was this idea that everyone there 
enjoyed Roman citizenship. At least all of the Romans did. They would have Roman citizenship, which meant they were exempt from taxes. Now, the Greeks probably had to pay the taxes, but they themselves were exempt. You would also notice that they probably wore togas around town, hanging out with uh, some money that they would use throughout the week that had Caesar on it, and everything was Roman money, it was Roman customs, Roman culture, Roman religion. Everything was focused on Rome. I mean, that was the idea that we want to bring Rome here. We want to spread Rome everywhere. And so what Philippi did is they prized their Roman citizenship. Many of them had never even been to Rome, and yet everything for them was about Rome. And what Paul says in this passage in verse 20 is he says, he says your citizenship is in heaven. So just like Philippi, you are prizing or you're valuing your Roman citizenship. Church, it's your responsibility to value or to prize your heavenly citizenship. You're actually citizens of heaven. Although you've never been there, you don't completely know what it looks like. It's your responsibility, it's your goal to live as a citizen of heaven. And that's the word picture he's trying to create. He's trying to get this understanding. In fact, one commentator made this statement, Church, we are the civilizing, life-enhancing colony of God in the midst of the world. And that's why when we read through the Gospels, we hear things like, you are a city on a hill. You are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. It's your responsibility to live in a way that's quite different than those around you. That you are commonwealth of God. And sometimes it gets difficult because we actually have dual citizenship, right? I mean, we are part of earth and we're also part of this kingdom of God. And so we have a dual citizenship. And each citizenship has different requirements or obligations. Each one being important. But what... Paul, I think, is getting at here with the church of Philippi, and what he's getting at here with us is this, that you've got to rank them. And citizenship in heaven comes before citizenship on earth. He's saying that first and foremost, your citizenship in heaven should inform, it should govern, in fact, it should illuminate all other areas of your life. First and foremost, you are citizen of the kingdom. So, I think we have to ask ourselves the question, what does that even look like? What does that mean? I mean, if we're supposed to be a citizen of heaven, and yet I'm a citizen, or most of us in here are of America, how does, how does that work? How do we do that? Because I think what he's saying is, in our worship, in our ethics, and most of all in our love, that everything that flows out of us should look like a citizen of God, a citizen of heaven. So Paul basically tells us how to do that by the first couple of verses. Let's look at verse 17. He said that really the way it looks is it comes down to our walk. It comes down to our walk. Verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even in tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So you see it here. Verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me as we walk. Yet there are many who walk 
what he's doing is he's contrasting two types of walking. He gives us a picture of a negative way of walking and a positive way of walking. Or an earthly way of walking and a heavenly way of walking. And he contrasts the two. And so what I want to do is kind of work our way backwards in the passage. So we talked about this idea of citizenship and he says you live that way by walking. And he talks about some walk as enemies of the cross. Or, if you look closely, he says some walk, verse 19, with minds set on earthly things. So the first description is that some people walk with their minds set on earthly things. And he, he breaks it down into a couple, he's, he says it this way, they're enemies of the cross, their end is destruction, their God is their stomach or their belly, and they glory in their shame. You're going, what in the world is he talking about? I mean, we could take time to try to break down what each of those means, and commentators have taken pages upon pages trying to describe what that looks like, but in reality it comes down to this that they live their life focused on the earthly kingdom and live as citizens of that instead of living as citizens of the heavenly kingdom. It's really a contrast that he's trying to get us to understand. So what he's saying is that there are some of us that walk this way. And it brings him to tears that some walk this way. And I think what he's saying is that for some people, that we make our decisions... We spend our money. We determine our priorities. We plan our future. We enter into our relationships. All the while having allegiance to Rome. Or to earth. So in the decisions we make, the things we do, what we talk about, the way we spend our money, the relationships we enter into, whatever area of our life that you can begin to think of, what he's saying is that some of us walk with an allegiance to Rome. Some of us walk with an allegiance to this earth. In fact, he goes on to say that some have uh, this idea that their God is their belly or their God is their stomach, which in essence what he's saying is that they live by their desires. They fulfill their hungers. They worship those things that please the soul or please our life. In fact, What he's asking in many ways, and what I've been asking myself this week, is what does it look like to truly be a citizen of heaven? I mean, we have to, I think, ask ourselves that question. Am I living as a citizen of earth, or am I living as a citizen of the kingdom of God? In fact, I think it's something that's really important in this passage that Paul is really trying to stress with us. That what kind of life are you living I mean, I, I know this is something that uh, is important because I think what Paul is trying to get at is that someone that lived in Philippi was distinctly Roman. I mean, everything about them looked like Rome. I mean, you could walk up and go, oh, you're probably from Philippi. You could distinguish the Greeks because they were different than the Romans. The people that were living there that were before they came and kind of invaded and took over probably looked a little bit different talked a little bit different, acted a little bit different. There was this big difference. And I remember growing up, this was a big tension point for me. I got frustrated when I would hear things like, hey, you need to, to live like a Christian, and a Christian looks way different than the world. And I would go, great, I agree 100%. What does that look like? And I remember being young, and they would go, well, 
One way that you can look different than the world around you is by the way you dress. Which usually meant we were about 10 years behind the times. And uh, so I'd like walk in somewhere and they're like, you look like a nerd. And I'd go, yeah, I'm a Christian, that's why. I mean, that, that makes me different. I'm, I'm set apart. I mean, like this, this is what makes me different, right? Or, or we, we would, uh, I remember always getting frustrated because they would go, um, one way to tell is you listen to different music. And it's crappy. I mean, it's just bad quality music. It, again, is probably 10 years behind the times. So like you're rocking to the 90s when it's 2000. And you're going, what, what, is this really what it's about? I mean, is this what makes me different? You know, and then, then they would go, well, another way you can really demonstrate difference is you can go to church four times a week, two hours each time. And that will really make you look weird. And that will make you different. I mean, you can just spend all your time at church with a bunch of other people that are way behind the times, and it will be awesome. You'll love it. It'll be so good, you know? I'm like, this is what it's about. And then, and then we, would, we would go, yeah, and there's one other thing. Let's just give our money to the church. It'll work great. And I go, okay, I mean, that, that sounds good. I mean, that's a kingly thing. I mean, that, yeah, okay, we'll give money to the church. What do we do with the money when we get it to the church? Oh, I mean, we just use it on stuff for ourselves, right? I mean, we just do more church stuff, or we put up a building, or we fix something, or we, I go, really? I mean, is this what I'm signing up for? Because this doesn't seem otherworldly. It just seems weird. Just seems different. Seems odd. And so all week long I've been asking myself, what what is a heavenly follower of Christ? What does a citizen of heaven look like? And how is that different than a citizen that focuses on the here and now, that focuses on earth, that makes everything about the temporary, that feeds our own desires and our wants? What what makes it look different? And this is kind of what I've come up with. What if heavenly citizenship looked radical because it was actually about a different kingdom? I mean, what if heavenly citizenship actually looked different because you actually made all of your priorities, all of your decisions, everything you did based on an entirely different set of values, an entirely different kingdom? I mean, what if we read through the Bible and actually followed what it said? I mean, that sounds odd, but I'm serious. What if we read it and actually took it at face value and said, this is what makes me different? Because when someone hurts me, I actually forgive them. I don't make it about revenge. So I started thinking through, okay, well, what do those things look like? How do we do that? What does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? And how do I live out this radical understanding that all my values, all my decisions come from a heavenly perspective instead of a temporal, earthly perspective? And so instead of making a list, because it would be so easy for us just to do that, right? I mean, I grew up making lists, and so let's just make more lists and then follow those lists until they seem kind of weird, and then make new ones. The reality is this. I think as small groups, we need to talk this out. We need to talk out what does it actually look like to live as a citizen of heaven here and now. 
So what I did is I created a list of some questions. And maybe we can just think on for a moment and take back with us to a group. Here are a couple. What if we made decisions for our family based on the kingdom? So like what if we sent our kids to school based on what God would most desire versus what makes the most sense to us? So what if we chose what neighborhood we lived in because of our opportunity to influence the community for Christ instead of choosing what neighborhood I lived in because it's going to guarantee me a greater appreciation of the value of my home. Or it's going to somehow put my kids in a safer context. Or if I slide into this neighborhood, I can avoid the elementary school that majors in free and reduced lunch. I mean, what if we made our decision and said, what does God want me to do related to my employment? What job does He want me to have? What, what way can I invest in the kingdom better? I mean, is it, is it best for me to choose this job over here with corporate advancement? Or maybe God is asking me to be weird in the eyes of others and to choose a job that pays less simply because it provides me more opportunity to invest in a different kingdom. I mean, what if we decided to begin to handle our money like the Gospels communicate? I mean, if you start reading through the Gospels, you see things like, uh, don't worry about tomorrow. If your friend is in need, give. And then we go, well, actually, Russ, I like that passage in Proverbs about the ant that stores up. That one's like way better. You know? I mean, like, this gospel, I mean, let's just go back to, like, the ant stores up for winter, and he's got lots left in the bank account, you know? Like, that, I mean, that's really what it's about. I mean, I mean, Proverbs is definitely about wealth management. I mean, it's really about setting things aside for the future. I mean, what, what, if, we, what if we started to see stewardship differently than I think we do? Because sometimes I'm convinced we, we talk about stewardship, and what we really mean is how do we invest? How does our corporate portfolio get better? How do we somehow chase after something here and present and tangible versus something different? I mean, I, <clears throat> I've been asking myself that question quite a bit, especially related to retirement. What if retirement wasn't necessarily a biblical value, but rather a Western mandate? I'm not saying it is, I'm just asking the question. I think it's important for us to, to ask questions like that. Maybe what makes us different is that we actually carry values and live values that are so radically opposed that to, to what we see here that people would look and go, you're not from around here, are you? Because you don't act, you don't live, you don't talk, you don't spend the way we do. You're not Roman, are you? You don't have the same dress, you don't have the, but it's, it's not the externals, it's this whole other set of values, it's this whole other thing that we're about. I mean, what if we decided to actually save intimacy for marriage? I mean, that would be weird. You know, that would be otherworldly. But maybe, here's another thing, instead of it just being about what are the things that we shouldn't do, Maybe we should start asking the question, why aren't we spending more of our time with people who don't 
save intimacy for marriage. Or don't. They just give in to passions. Maybe what Christ tried to model for us is that exact thing that, no, you're supposed to spend all of your time with people who are hurting, who need love, who need to be embraced with the Gospel, the good news that fills the longing we talked about. You all have the longing. I have the longing. We want that longing filled and everyone wants that longing filled. And Christ is going, maybe maybe kingdom living, maybe looking like a citizen means that you look radically different, but it has nothing to do with being out of fashion. So we have to ask, where does our citizenship lie? The thing that has pricked me really hard this week is that I want my citizenship to be about heaven. I really do. But I started to say, you know what, it costs me something. And I don't know if I'm okay with that. I came across this Soren Kierkegaard quote, and it like cut deep. It cut deep. This is what it said. The matter is quite simple. The Bible is very easy to understand. But we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obliged to act accordingly. Take any words in the New Testament and forget everything except pledging yourself to act accordingly. My God, you would say. If I do, my whole life will be ruined. Hey, what would happen is your whole life would look like you're not from around here. Your whole life would look like you're actually a citizen of a different place. Second thing he says, see, says in verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So he says, join together in imitating I mean, imitation is something that we humans are pretty good at. And that's why I think the writers of the Scriptures brought it up over and over and over again. You'll hear some examples. Imitate me, follow my example. Be imitators of God. Become imitators of us and the Lord. Imitate God's churches. Don't become lazy, but imitate those who will receive the reward. You get the idea. Imitation for humans comes pretty easy. I mean, we copy trends. We copy the way people act, talk, look, expressions they make, music they like. We, we have this idea of copying all the time. I try to get my daughter to do this. She's like six months, and I'll look at her and do the whole crazy baby stuff, you know, where you'd say things that don't make any sense to anybody, probably even her. And <clears throat> you get her to try, like, I'm trying to get her to do what I'm doing. Or I try to copy what she's doing so that there's this imitation thing. And so we find ourselves imitating all the time. We find ourselves copying or being copied. I know parents get this quite easily. I mean, all the time, we see imitation. In fact, sometimes like my kids will do something and go, oh, crap, that's me, right? I mean, that, that is me. I'm sorry, sorry. <laughs> that's bad, you know? I mean, that's, that's what we do. It's funny, that, um, since the Super Bowl... Uh, my sons have been copying something over and over and over, and I figured I'd give you a little look at, in my world.
<laughs> so I don't know if you saw that the first time at the Super Bowl, but <clears throat> for like the next two weeks, literally, the kids would be walking through the house and they'd go, keep your hands off my mama, keep your hands off my Doritos. I mean, over and over. I mean, we'd be, be sitting at a table, we're talking, hey, how was your day at school, what's going on? And all of a sudden, one of them would just be like, just bust it out. I'm going, what is going on around here? This is crazy. But then, you know, they'd be playing in another room, and then all of a sudden, I'd be like, keep your hands off my toys. I mean, they would like just, they'd start changing everything, but they, they kept imitating this little kid. I mean, he's so cute. He's so expressive in the way he says it, but imitation comes easy for us, right? And what Paul is saying is imitate. Imitate me, but imitate. He doesn't stop there. He says imitate the community of faith. So he's not just, I think sometimes Paul gets a bad rap because he's like, just imitate me. But no, he's not. He's saying imitate the community of faith. You want to know what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven? Look around. Look around. And you want to know what it looks like? Paul's also saying, look in the text. I mean, he's pointing back to the first part of this book. He's saying in chapter 2, Jesus Christ says He gives up everything. He becomes humble. You want to know what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven? Be humble. Give up stuff. Make it not about you, just like Christ did. He then goes on to say, you want to know what a citizen of heaven looks like? It looks like, and he highlights himself for a moment, in chapter 2, and he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Be willing to give up your life for the sake of the Gospel. He goes on to Timothy. We talked about this two weeks ago. and He says, it means to actually invest in the community of faith. To invest in other people. To invest in the community. To pour into one another is what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven. Then, Epaphroditus, you participate in the Gospel. That There's this act this action, there's this movement as we've been talking about in this series that all of us are supposed to be pouring in. And he starts listing all of these things that we're to give our life to. And he's saying, imitate me in that. Right? But don't just imitate me. Imitate Danny right here. Look at her life. Look at how she's trying to live. Look at what she's doing and say, I want to follow that example. I mean, there's a couple of girls in our church over the last like six months. They've been uh, coming alongside of my daughter, and what they'll do is they'll, they'll text us or call us. They'll come over. They'll grab my daughter. They'll go out to coffee for about an hour, spend some time with her, interact with her, and then take her back. And there's like two or three young ladies that are doing this in my daughter's life. And then she'll get back, and I'll say, hey, what do you guys talk about? What did you do? I mean, you went, you went camping together, or you, oh, you went to a movie together, you went hiking, you, went, you like, spent time talking, you, whatever. And, and I start getting this feedback from her, and then I say this, Carson, listen. Listen to me very closely. Imitate them. Imitate them. Walk like they walk. Talk like they talk. I mean, they're pursuing Christ. They want to give their life away. I want you to grow up and look like them. I want you to be that. I want you to chase after that. I mean, that's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying, imitate. Don't just imitate me. Don't just imitate this this community of faith, but imitate Christ. I mean, really, the the main source is this idea of imitating Christ. 
May your life look like Christ. I mean, that's what the kingdom is about, right? I mean, the kingdom is really looking, having our lives look like Jesus. That the people that He cared about is the people we care about. That the people He poured into, the things that He did are the things that we're about. In fact, whatever we're to be in heaven, I think Paul is getting at is we're to be it right now. Whatever our life will look like in heaven as we walk and talk in communion with God, as we relate, as we live out the kingdom values perfectly, we're supposed to take that idea and bring the colony of heaven to bear here. That we are to be an outpost of heaven. That the church is to be a representation of everything the kingdom is to look like. Let me leave you with uh, this quote as you think through who is imitating you or how are you imitating others. We cannot make the kingdom of God happen, but we can pull out leaves as it draws near. We can be kind to each other. We can be kind to ourselves. We can drive back the darkness a little. We can make green places within ourselves and among ourselves where God can make His kingdom happen. See, it's His work through us. It's His life in place of ours. It's Him living out through us so that we reflect the citizenship of heaven here. So I think what Paul is getting at is that longing that is in us that we, we go, we are eagerly anticipating and waiting the coming of Christ. That we can live that out now by our citizenship and by the way we walk. So may our citizenship reflect the fact that we're not from around here. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, we, we want to follow you. We want to be just like the people of Philippi wanted to be a little bit of a Roman colony in a different place. We want as the church, we want as new community, to be a colony of heaven present here in the now. We want the kingdom to be at hand in the way we live and move and have our being as your word communicates. So God, we ask for that. We ask for this future reality to become a present one in the now as we live, as we live out our citizenship, as we walk in imitation of the community of faith and most importantly, of you. God, may people understand very clearly that we're not different because we're out of style or behind the times, but that we're different because we're not really from around here. The values that you live in us would be so evident. May that be the case for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.